happy 2023. You do not want to be the person between children and donuts. I just realized uh, I'm now the person between you and donuts. Um, I was on the phone with a friend this week. His name's Bobby. He's my best friend. He lives up in Detroit. Maybe you have a friend like this. But every time you're on the phone together, you end the call, and it feels like time just slipped by. It could have been like two hours long. Then you get off the phone, and it felt a little bit like 15 minutes. And you're kind of thirsty for more. Do you have relationships like this? And you may have gotten caught up in something along the way. And you didn't necessarily show up on the call with something to share. Our calls start, hey, how are you? And then it's like off and running. And somewhere around the two-hour mark, we realize, oh, there's other things going on in life. I'll need to check in with you again later. And I got off the call. And I debated whether or not sharing this with you because it is a little embarrassing. Because it paints me as kind of, well, self-interested. Uh, but if the shoe fits, right? <laughs> Um, and I got off the call, and I'm like filled with excitement, with energy. And I think, is that conversation that we just had unique in the world, or is it just something that met me in a place where I was today? And then, I, and then my mind kept going. And I thought, ooh, what could happen? if we recorded those calls and then someone edited them and put nice music bumpers on the ends and it became like a podcast and we could you know, monetize this thing and then our families could get together and then we would be able to do this more often and it would also satisfy these other constraints in our life and it just kind of it ballooned really quickly, right? I even thought I would name it the Fancy Steve and Handsome Bob Show. I got that far, like down this rabbit hole. Um, and I share that because what's happening in that space when our imagination runs wild is that we're experiencing hope. That's what's happening in that space. We're tasting what hope is. And at the beginning of a new year, we're often hopeful looking forward into the year. We might be thinking this morning, what does 2023 have in store for us? What can I expect from the year ahead? What can I anticipate? What do I hope is going to be part of the curriculum of this next year in our life? And for some of us, we might be entering 2023 thinking, I just want to prepare myself to receive whatever goodness God might have for us. And that's how Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the Bible, uh, who wrote the translation, the message of the Bible, he talks about hope. He says, hope is the eager expectation of goodness from God. And when I'm on a call with Bobby... I'm carried away in this eager expectation of his goodness. And I can relate with what Paul's talking about in Romans when he talks about rejoicing in hope, because it feels really easy in that space. It feels natural. 
oh, I could rejoice in this all day. And it's not necessarily something I sought out and found. It's something that seems to have somehow found me. And we might talk about that for a moment. But hope is this relationship that we have in life, but it's not always this thing that blossoms and feels beautiful. Not always. Sometimes our relationship with hope can feel painful. At least my, my relationship with hope can sometimes feel painful. Right? Even like we as a community hosted a, a night together, the longest night of a couple weeks ago, just to honor the things that we might be grieving in a period of waiting, like Advent. And that hope can sometimes hurt us. I was with a, a friend, well, he's 30 years my senior, so it's kind of like this really lopsided friendship. Um, and we were talking about hope. And I know that he just had a challenging season with hope. And, and he found me within a challenging season. <laughs> and so we're on this walk together talking about, ooh, like what do we do about hope? And we're talking about how hope hurts. It's like it's really painful. It's hard to wake up and hope for this thing. And then it actually feels like a reminder of its absence in life, more than this thing that's like, let's rejoice in this thing. And then we get really confused. Why is Paul asking us to rejoice in this thing? Because it really hurts right now. Hope can feel promising. It can feel painful. It can, it can feel pressure-filled. I can think about times that I, I hope for things in the future, some tangible things in the future. Does anyone do visioning for the year, visioning for like five years out, things like this? I can think of these things. I'd like for me personally, I can think, I'd really love to learn the violin. I'd really love to learn to sail. I've never really spent any time on a boat, but I think it'd be a good idea. I'd really love to design and build and then live in an A-frame, like on Pacific Northwest. Those are kind of tangible hopes. And then we have some kind of intangible hopes in our life, and that's sometimes the version of ourself that we seek to become in the world. Like for me, I sometimes think, <laughs> what things in my, in my life today are really young or rather unpresent that I would sure like to be part of the story in the future? And I think, I'd sure love to not hold the worst expression of someone against them in the future. Because I can't say that I don't do that now. And so sometimes the things that we hope for are these intangible things. I was with this guy who was 72 years old. We spent kind of two intensive days together. And while we were getting to know each other, I asked him, you know, what words or phrases would people who know you better than anyone else what words and phrases would they use to describe you? And without hesitation, he said, loud, condescending, and arrogant. Right? You know, I'm kind of like, where are these two days go? <laughs> you know? And I, and I, and I, and I ask, because I, 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 that doesn't sound hypothetical. He says, no, my children have told me that. And then we got to talk about, what do you hope you're remembered as 
What do you hope comes to their mind when you come to their mind? Is it being loud, condescending, and arrogant, or anything else? Sometimes we hope for tangible things. I'd like to sail. Sometimes we hope for intangible things. I'd love to not hold the worst expression of someone against them. And this can be our relationship to hope. And we hold these things forward in this eager expectation of their goodness in our life. And we're not in control of them. And this is good news. We're not necessarily in control of all of them. Hope isn't something that we self-generate. But we talk about it sometimes this way. We'll say things like, you know, that person over there is really hopeless. They need to go get, they need to go get some, find some hope. Because if it, we're up to them. You need to be more hopeful. We'll say things like this. And what I think we mean is, consider being more optimistic. Because <laughs> hope is settling in something else than optimism. Hope is greeting us in a special and unique space in life. And I'd love to talk about that space today. In Romans 8, Paul talks about hope this way. He says, who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, then we wait for it patiently. If we were to back it up earlier, he says, uh, for in this hope, and the hope he's talking about in Romans 8, is the hope that everything gets ordered. <sighs> All the disorder in life gets ordered. That's the hope he's talking about. And he says, in this hope you were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what he already has? But if, we, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, then we wait for it patiently. And the words he's using here are intended to invite us into how to hope. Because he's using waiting intentionally. And do we all wait really well? I don't wait well for anything. I don't think. I was with a friend and I was telling him, uh, I want every, this is, I remember telling him, I want everything I want, and I just want it right now. What does that make me? And he said, a spoiled little brat. <laughs> I thought, I feel like a spoiled little brat right now. I want everything I want, I want it right now. I don't know how to wait. I don't know what waiting feels like. I'm resistant to the discomfort of holding something and not being able to possess it. But waiting is a marker, perhaps. It might be a way that we can evaluate our own spiritual journey, and that is our journey of Christ-like becoming. Because what I might suggest is that we could reduce the whole formational journey down to our relationship with waiting. How well do we wait for things? And so what Paul's doing here is he's, he's talking about hope. And he's saying it's, it, there's, there's a lot about waiting that it has to do with. And then he talks about it being, being patient within waiting. And the word for patience that he's using here is a Greek word, hopamone. My little boy walks around the house and just says, hoop, hoop, hoop. 
It's hupomone. And this, this word means to, 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 to stay behind, to remain behind. And the image that comes to our mind then is that these things that we hope for are not something that we need to go find. And that's good news for us. These things that, because we get this really, we get this, we, we confuse this in the West. And we have these moments where we envision something in the future and it inspires us, it really energizes us. And we experience hope for that thing. And what we, do, we tend to do in the West is associate that thing with the hope I'm experiencing. And we think to ourselves, now I got to go get that thing so that I can experience more hope. And, there's a, and, we're, and we are connecting the two, and they were never intended to be connected. We're to remain behind the thing that inspires the hope. And so what's happening in that hope territory that's so helpful, necessary, that we can rejoice in, is that everything that we're believing changes. For a moment, perhaps. And we're believing things that are true again. And in that space, we feel hope. Things that we believe about God are ordered. Things that we believe about ourselves are ordered. Things that we believe about the world around us are ordered again, and we experience hope. We think of, we think the most generous sense of who God is in that space, right? We think of ourselves most compassionately, and we think of other people most charitably in that space. We're believing those things, and this isn't an operate, this, this isn't like a theological belief, because we could spend some time talking about this, of, of, no, I believe that God is good, and I believe that I am beloved, and I believe that other people are valuable, theologically, right? But operationally, functionally, we don't necessarily own that space, except in moments of hope when we think the most generous thing about God, the most compassionate thing about ourselves, the most charitable thing about others. And that's why Paul's talking about rejoice in that hope. And what we can tend to do is move through it as quickly as possible. This is like we experience hope for something, and then we say, okay, I need to go close the gap on this thing for hope. And we create really great visions and really big plans. And I'm not here to bag on either of those things. I help people make plans for a living. (laughs) I have a pretty big appreciation for a good plan in life. But the purpose of a vision is not to be a vow. Or the, how else could we talk about? The the purpose of, of a of, of, of the hopefulness is not that it might cause us to just drive as fast as we can toward it. We're not intended to drive as quickly as we can towards the thing that we experience hopefulness about. 
We're, we're asked to just linger in it, to wade in it. Because that space where that thing is happening, where this is what I might suggest, where we're believing, it's all going to be okay. That space is a, like it's a Petri dish of some kind. Something is incubating. And it's trust. It's trust that God knows what he's up to. And it's all going to work out. James Bryan Smith puts it this way. He talks about the kingdom of God is not at risk, and neither am I. So he talks about it. It's when we begin to see things as God sees things. And then, we, then we're, you know, invited into responding to things as he sees them. See, hope, and I hope, my, my hope is that this year we might be able to look at those moments differently. Those moments where we bump into that excitement and energy for what could be. And for a moment, pause in those moments that we go, oh, imagine if, and we dream it up as big as we possibly can. Do that, please. Dream it up as big as you possibly can until you kind of bump into that hopefulness territory and then linger in that, tr- that hopefulness where you're trusting and ask God to strengthen that trust before you kind of move out of it to something more. I've heard people talk about dreams, dream up as big as you can so that you can truly dream well. I've heard like, people talk about it this way. And sometimes I think, oh, it's, it, might be, it might be about the, the imagination. Like, allow the imagination to just broaden our perspectives of what could be in the world. And sometimes we can think of the imagination as like, yeah, that's a really childish thing and isn't reserved for, um, it's not reserved for an adult. And we think wrongly of the imagination. C.S. Lewis, old Clive Staples, Lewis talks about the imagination. And he says, it's the centerpiece of our Imago Dei, like our image of God. So when we're talking about you're, you're created in God's image, we're not talking about like, you know, two eyes and two ears. What, he, what Lewis is talking about is, you know what you resemble about God? Your imagination resembles God. He calls it the baptized imagination. That's how he talks about it. Which is this sense of what things could be. It's wonder and possibility. And there's kind of two directions that our imaginations can tend to take. Right? If anyone worries in the room, does anyone worry in the room? Right? None of us. Fear, anxiety, these things are just the imagination at work. We're forecasting something in the future, and it's causing, it's disrupting something inside. That's what fear is and worry is. And that's your imagination at work. And so if you can do that, <laughs> you can also do a, like a noble imagining where it produces that hopefulness, where it produces wonder. 
I wonder what could be around the next corner. I wonder how God is going to greet me with his kindness in the year ahead. I wonder what he has for me just around the corner. And as we think about the as we think about that territory of hope and we think about that space the the Celtic tradition calls it a threshold. That's all. Like there's these th- they call them thin spaces. There's all these moments in the story, in life, in the journey in the, that you experience something a little bit thinner. Like it's easier to access. It's easier to access hope. There's a threshold there. That's how the Celtic tradition talks about it. And in that threshold, we have choice and agency to participate in the hopefulness and trust that is already birthing, that we can carry that hopefulness and trust into whatever is next without necessarily needing whatever that hopefulness, whatever produced that hopefulness in my life. I don't necessarily need that thing to taste it. I don't necessarily need that thing to taste it. Ignatius of Loyola talks about it as interior freedom. Do we know about Ignatius? I have a friend who calls him Iggy. <laughs> uh, Ignatius of Loyola. He's, he's this 15th century Spanish priest, but he wasn't always... It wasn't always, and his, his life was really exciting before that. We can spend a few minutes talking about Ignatius, because this is worth it. He was, if, if he had like one rule of life, it was party. What's the rule? Party. He loved drinking. He loved dancing. He loved women. He loved party. And he was good at it. And then he got himself caught up in a war, and he was shot by a cannonball, which is like the most gangster thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and he's in recovery from this injury in this ward, and he's asking all the caretakers, all the, all the nurses, all the nuns, hey, can you go get me those romance novels that I, like, I love so much, those, that Nicholas Sparks novel that I love so much? He probably, like, read Fifty Shades of Grey, that, that style of things. Can you go get me those things that I've always found kind of expand something inside? And he talks about it this way. He says he would love to read these romantic novels because he would like to place himself in the story and to think about what it would be like to rescue the one in danger. And what would he say? And what would he do that would sweep her away? And they didn't have any of those novels available at their public library. Okay? And it, it, it didn't help his vanity. He remained kind of this rather vain person in the hospital. I mean, it got to a point, this is true, where they were going to discharge him. And he put on his tights because it's 15th century. You've seen movies. And he didn't like how his legs looked in the tights. And so he had them re-break his leg so that they could... This is before any kind of anesthetic. So that they looked better in dance tights. Like, that's the level of vanity that Ignatius is on. 
Okay? And it's in that recovery from that, that, op, that, that operation, that voluntary operation, that somebody hands him the Vita de Cristo, the life of Christ. And he's reading this book, and it expands his imagination, is how he talks about it. And he realizes that he's only ever really used his mind before. And he loved these romantic novels because they kind of stirred his mind. And as he read The Life of Christ, it kind of, it expanded his imagination of what could be, of possibility, of wonder. And that's the imagination we're talking about. John O'Donohue, who's an Irish poet, theologian, he passed away just a few years ago. Um, he talks about the imagination in uh, I Walk and Wonder, a book he wrote. And you, so you might imagine like this in a Gaelic accent. Sometimes that helps. Uh, but he talks about there's an amazing difference between how the mind sees something and how the imagination sees something. And when we bump into kind of a vision for the year ahead or the vision for the future, the mind will see it a certain way. Okay, so what does that mean for me? What do I have to do to get there? And the imagination will see it a certain way. Where hope, trust begins to birth itself, strengthen in that space, in that territory. If we cooperate with it, if we companion it, and then we can encounter what Jeremiah talks about in chapter 29 when he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Like that feels different to us. We go, oh yeah, it's that. It feels like that. Plans to give you a hope in the future. We believe it operationally. Not just intellectually, like it's gotten into our bones, and we think of God in the right ordered sense, and we can think of ourselves and others in that ordered and right sense. Now, I didn't know whether or not I would share this, because I didn't know, well, um, maybe this is the practice. I would love for us to practice noticing something, our response to something. And you're not interrogating your response. You don't need to defend it. You don't need to explain it. I just love for you to notice what it is. Then we might talk about it. But Ignatius talks about sin. It's Sunday morning, we're talking about sin. <laughs> but he defines it in the most generous way. And I think it's becoming my new favorite definition of sin. He says, sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. And then just notice your instinctual response to that. Is it acceptance? Is it rejection? Is it dismissal? 
just notice your response to it. And maybe sometime this week, um, you use that as fodder in prayer with him. All right, there's this idea of sin this way. This is how I'm responding to it. What are your thoughts about it? Anything you want to introduce me to differently? It might just be a fun entry point for a time with him this week. But it's in that space, and it's what, it, because we can sometimes say, like, oh, the, the happiness, the, God doesn't care about my personal happiness, my personal life. He, we can say he cares about everyone else's, but not mine. We can say things like this sometimes. We can believe that internally sometimes. But when we're encountering hope, those moments where we believe what's most generous about God, and we didn't generate it, it kind of found us. We believe the most compassionate thing about ourselves. We lost the old tapes, you know, the critical tapes that are always playing those messages. Those aren't playing in that moment. And we think most charitably of others. That territory of hope is intended to produce a trust. And it's not that that thing that's causing the hope, that's kind of stirring the hope, becomes life. That's not the point. The point is that we settle into that trust. And that's the interior freedom that Ignatius is talking about. And the way he talks about it is, you become so free, so trusting of who God is, who I am, and why we're all here, traveling through space at 67,000 miles an hour, why we're all here, that it doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't interfere with the hope and trust that I have in, in, in tomorrow. And that's the, the freedom that he's talking about. It's the freedom that we read about in Galatians 5. It's, it's for freedom's sake. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's that freedom. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And in this sense, the slavery is, being a, is, is, is having the, the progression of life, <laughs> the, the achievement of life, master my life. And so I'm driving it. I'm pursuing it as hard as I possibly can. I, a few years ago, I was in a room talking with a, this is a group of really intelligent people. I've never been the smartest person in a room, so it's very safe for me to be there. <laughs> and, I'm, and I just feel kind of threatened the whole time because I'm feeling like everyone's just analyzing this. And I don't know if I've analyzed this. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm talking about the prayer life. And we're talking about any form of prayer, whether it's the prayer of thanksgiving or adoration or a breath prayer or lexio divinia or visio divinia or something. That the point of the prayer, I'm talking about it as an analogy, a sailboat as a metaphor for prayer. I'm talking about it as, oh, well, in prayer, we just raise the sail. And then in prayer, the sail is filled. And it kind of propels us drives us in a new direction and in that we get to kind of like steer with a rudder and see like hey what's over here and we get to do some exploring together and after that we broke for a session and I like went and 
stood out in the hall for a sec to greet some folks, and this guy Eric came up. Um, and I love Eric. Eric was a commander in the Navy. That's Eric's life. He's a nuclear physicist by trade. Uh, and he comes up and he says, uh, thank you. Um, you've given me a new way to interact with prayer in my life. And I thought, I'm glad that's what found you <laughs> in that time. And then he says, but you do know that that's, that's not how sailboats work? He says, sailboats work like airplanes. And it was in that moment I realized that I didn't know how airplanes worked either. <laughs> um, and he says, sailboats aren't propelled, this is beautiful, sailboats aren't propelled forward by a high-pressure wind behind the sail. He says, sailboats are drawn forward by low-pressure air on the opposing side of the sail. I thought, that's beautiful, that's right. That can cooperate in how I understand what it means to, to hold, to hope a monet, hope. <laughs> to hold hope before me. And to allow that thing to kind of draw me. I don't have to chase it. I just, it's almost like a magnetism. I just get to allow myself to follow that into the next, and then into the next. And then into the next. And it's not up to me to kind of drive this thing forward. It's drawn forward. My hope for you in 2023 is that you can dream as big as you can and activate the imagination of possibility until you encounter that space of hope where you're believing the most generous thing about God and the most compassionate thing about yourself and the most charitable thing about others. I might include the most appreciative perspective of creation. <laughs> I would include that. Until you encounter that territory, and then before you move out of that territory, asking God to just, could you strengthen this in my life? Because I'm believing things truthfully in this territory, in this space, in this moment. I'm seeing things as you see. Can you just continue to strengthen that in me, knowing that it's not us that's up to it? Romans talks about it this way. He's a... Paul says, may, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, which, is, which means it's not of our own doing. It's something that we don't go necessarily and find. It's something that, we, that finds us, and when, it, when we encounter it, we just ask for more. I'll take more of this. Strengthen this in my life that I might carry it forward into whatever's next. Can I pray for us? Blessed Trinity.
I pray that we might have the courage today to embrace the mystery of life that nurtures hope in us, that strengthens my trust in you, that we might know you in the most generous sense, and that we might think of and know ourselves in the most compassionate sense, and that we might know others in the most charitable sense. Lord, I pray that we waste our life on worry and anxiety and fears no more in exchange for cooperating with the hope and trust that you seek to strengthen in our lives. We love you and we trust you. And it's in your holy and precious, precious name we pray. Amen.